Hello there, and welcome back to another podcast episode of Wrong Sports. I am Tim, your narrator, going over another audio podcast of one of my YouTube stories that I have done on my YouTube channel at Wrong Sports. This time, I'm going to be going over the epic four-year-long losing streak of the Columbia Lions football team that happened in the mid-1980s. If you have not seen the video version, I have a full video version up. There's two parts of it. It's up right now on my YouTube channel, or you can just search Deep Dives Columbia Lions and it should come up on YouTube. Or you can just strap in right now because this episode is going to be about an hour long because there's a lot that's going to happen in this episode. But before I get to that, make sure you help out the podcast right now on my Patreon, patreon.com slash wrongsports. You can help out the channel there. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel right now. Just search Wrong Sports, subscribe there. Or you can go to my Twitter, at Sports Wrong. You can find all the links there and follow me there. So if you don't know, Columbia is located in the heart of New York City, and they were the third team to play college football in 1870, losing their match to Rutgers 6-3. After that, they never really got to national prominence, but they would have the occasional really good season, example being 1915 where they were 5-0, or 1926 where they were 6-3. But they were never really good until Lou Little became their coach in 1930. Little turned this team into a regional power quick, and then into a national power as they went 8-1 in 1933 and went to the Rose Bowl and won it. Little then coached them until 1957, but by 1950, this school fell into the bottom, and when the Ivy League formed in the late 1950s, Columbia was routinely finishing towards the bottom, with their only first place finish coming in 1961. So after hearing that little history lesson, it wasn't a shock that when the 1980s started, Columbia was struggling, and they brought in a new coach in Robert Nazo. He was a Rutgers alumni and an assistant for Rutgers when they were a top team in the East in the 1970s. He he was also a defensive guy and it showed in 1980 and 81 where the team scored less than 10 points per game but their defense wasn't really getting torched as they only gave up 26 points per game and ended both seasons at 1 and 9 finishes. After the 1981 season though, the Ivy League was reclassified to the FCS, but that didn't really matter to Columbia as they continue being 1-9 in 1982 and another one-win season in 1983, but they were 1-7-2, so it was a slightly better winning percentage. Even though their records didn't improve, they did on offense as they averaged over 20 points per game, but on defense they didn't and they went down a lot as they averaged giving up over 36 points per game in that 1983 season. Okay, so before I get into full seasons of this deep dive, I have to mention 1983 because it is very significant. You heard me mention their record of 1-7-2. Well, the streak started here in 1983 because their final win happened on October 15th in 1983 when they beat Yale 21-18. to After that, they proceeded to tie Bucknell the next week, then lose badly to Holy Cross, and then finally tied Dartmouth 17-17. to 
they would lose their final two games of the 1983 season to Cornell and Brown. So that is where officially the losing streak starts. So when they get into the 1984 season, they are currently on a two-game losing streak and a five-game winless streak. Okay, so along with Coach Nazo coming back, they were coming into the 1984 season with a lot of new faces and a big one in their quarterback is John Wachowski, who had 3,000 yards the previous two seasons. He graduated, and their new starter, Henry Santos, had some big shoes to fill. Along with that, they had a carousel at running back, which resulted in Columbia never having a 1,000 runner up to this time. The receivers coming back of notice was their tight end, who was named to the first-team Ivy League in 1983. His name was Dan Uprico. Meanwhile, on defense, there were no players of notice coming back. There was one player on the first or second team defense in 1983, but in 1984, they had none on either list, which kind of spoils how their defense is going to look this year. The season started with those different faces, and also this season ushered in a new stadium, as they left Baker Field in 1982, and for 1983, they played 10 neutral site games, which were mostly on the road, but they did have the occasional game at Giant Stadium, but with the 1984 season starting, they would open up a new stadium in Lawrence A. Ween Stadium for six home games. And they would start this season with the home game on September 22nd versus Harvard. Harvard were the co-champions of the Ivy League last year, and Harvard jumped out to an early 14-0 lead behind their running game, and even though Columbia would be at 17-14 just after halftime, Harvard prevailed after a fourth-quarter field goal and interception return for a touchdown, making the final 35-21. Harvard had over 330 yards rushing, while Columbia did have 200-plus passing yards behind Santos' 160 yards. Another star for Columbia in this game was Uprico, as he had six catches for 120 yards. But with this loss to Harvard, they are 0-1 in the season, and their losing streak is at 3, with their winless streak being at 6. Next week saw Columbia face Lafayette, who were 1-2 coming in and not in the Ivy League, which was one of the two non- which was one of the two out-of-conference games they played every year. I don't have stats on this game, but the final was 23-14, and Lafayette would end up 5-5 five five this season. With the loss to Lafayette, it also continues another losing streak to non-conference opponents, as that stood at 11, with their last non-conference win coming back in 1980 versus Lafayette. And Game 3 was the first away game as they played undefeated Penn. Penn didn't take Columbia lightly, and it took them up until the second quarter to break this game open with three touchdowns, and it would be 28-0 Penn at half, and a few minutes after half, it would be 35-0. This game was utter dominance by Penn, as they had 200 yards on offense in the first half, and guess what, they had 400-plus total yards at the end of this game. Also, Penn's defense was great as Columbia didn't have a positive rushing yard until after the second half and didn't get into Penn territory until the third quarter, which was probably against second-teamers by that point. Columbia did manage to score with less than a minute left, but again, that was probably against the second and third-teamers of Penn. The final was 35-7, and Columbia was 0-3. 
Week four was back at home versus Princeton, who were looking for something positive after a crushing loss the previous week to Brown. And yeah, they started really well as Princeton's quarterback started the game eight for eight, and then he torched Columbia, being up 31 to nothing at half. Princeton had over four. Princeton had over. Princeton had over 400 total yards with 250 rushing yards. Columbia didn't do anything of note, scoring really late in the game so they didn't get shut out, so let's just move on. Because I want to go over week 5, which was very interesting as they played Yale. Yale was coming into the game 2-2 two and two and looking for their first winning record since 1980, and they were still coached by the famous Karm Koza. The game had its drama as Yale was up 21-7, but Columbia came back after a 93-yard touchdown run with 8 minutes left to tie it up at 21. Yale took the lead back with their own 90-yard drive, and Columbia had one more chance to score. Santos led them into the red zone with 6 seconds left and threw a pass to the end zone which was knocked away and they couldn't get the touchdown to tie. So Columbia lost and the record is 0-5 and the streak sits at 7. They played out of conference Colgate next who had NFL talent at quarterback, his name was Steve Calabria, and Colgate was coming in 4-2 but started slow as Columbia had the lead twice in the first half but Colgate would score before the half and take a 14-10 lead and kept it until the end. Colgate did most of their damage through the air as Calabria had over 300 yards passing and he also ran for a touchdown. Columbia didn't do much on offense, but I do want to mention one player in Jimmy Henderson who had a 90-yard touchdown run in the previous game. He would have a 90-yard kickoff return in this game. The final was 35-16 and the streak is at 8. And we go back to Ivy League games for the rest of the year, and I'll just gloss over this next loss because it was really nasty as Columbia traveled to New Hampshire to play Dartmouth. Dartmouth were 0-6 coming into this game, but they had an okay offense that looked amazing versus Columbia in this game as they had over 400 yards, and Dartmouth won 41-9. Well, that last loss was embarrassing, but Columbia was back at home to play Cornell in Game 8. Coach Nazo, maybe sensing that he was done here, benched Santos, his best quarterback, and started a new quarterback with the last name Von Schnoderbeck. Von Schnoderbeck didn't do very well, and he was benched in the second half, which allowed Santos to come back on the field. He got Columbia within two, but Cornell would get 10 straight points and grab the 19-7 win. The loss looked worse when the season was over, as Columbia scored more points over the season than Cornell, but couldn't outscore them here in this game. The final game couldn't come here enough, as Columbia played Brown, who were 3-5. and five. Brown, like Columbia, weren't a top-tier team in the Ivy, but they were always a pretty tough middle-of-the-road team. I don't have stats on this game, but it was a 28-14 final. So with this game, they would lose 11 in a row and were winless in their last 14. For Columbia on offense this season, they scored 117 points or 13 points per game. Their leading rusher was Jimmy Henderson as he had 444 yards and he got 90 of that on that one run there. The passing leader was Henry Santos as he only had 1,074 yards, which was 2,000 which was a 2,000-yard decrease from the previous season. Their leading receiver, though, was probably their best player on offense, as Uppercoe had nearly half the passes from Santos for 489 yards. 
And on defense, they were pretty bad as they gave up 273 points or 30.3 points per game. They gave up 35 plus points in five games. And it could have been much worse because I mentioned a lot of teams would put in their second and even third stringers to allow Columbia to score to not get shut out. Anyway, Coach Bob Nazo would be gone after this year. But if you thought this season was bad, 1985 would get even worse and a little bit wacky too. Okay, so we are through the first full year of this streak, and we're now getting into 1985, and this year started with the announcement of a new coach in James Garrett. Garrett was a good player that had a lot of bad luck as he had two NFL contracts end by injury, with the last one being exceptionally brutal as he was signed to the New York Giants team but broke his leg in six places during the spring drills and he never played again. Garrett would successfully become a coach at the young age of 30 in 1960 when he coached at Susquehanna. He had great success here as through his first five years he was 39-4-1, but in his sixth season they started 0-7 and in the middle of a game Garrett struck a player who was wearing a helmet but still and Garrett resigned right after the game due to a family member of the player threatening legal action against him. So after that Garrett was out of football for two years before becoming an assistant for a semi-pro league but did eventually get NFL jobs in the 1970s. He became a VP and coach for the Houston Texans of the New World Football League. After the World Football League he jumped around some more becoming a New Jersey high school football coach for less than a year and that will come in handy later on I'll be mentioning that again so don't worry then he jumped back to the NFL mostly with the Cleveland Browns as an offensive back coach and then becoming a director of research and development from 1982 to 1984 in Cleveland he was a really good scout and even though his early college coaching career ended badly he would be hired by Columbia another reason might be that James Garrett had some really talented sons all between the ages of 15 and 18 and one was about to go to college in his oldest son Judd Garrett. So I'm not saying that this is the reason for the school hiring him but some articles I've read on him referenced alumni and fans wanting to have the Garrett sons on the sidelines as they would definitely improve this team. Anyway though Jim Garrett got on campus and too bad he couldn't play freshman as the Ivy League didn't allow that at the time so his son Judd who played on the freshman team in 1985 and his other son John had an injury and would sit out the 1985 season so coach Garrett was without all of of his sons. But besides the players of note who are not on the field, let's get some players of note who are coming back. And for the running back, they had their carousel of running backs. But John Chirico was back as he had over 300 yards the previous season and a few touchdowns, so at least that was something positive. Also, their first team Ivy League tight end, Upperco, graduated, but quarterback Henry Santos was back for his senior year, so that was at least another positive on this dreadful offense. On defense, though, there weren't any defensive guys of note as none showed up on the Ivy League first team, and one guy, a linebacker, showed up on the second team, so again, this was going to be a spoiler of what was to come on their defense. But let's start the season already since there will be more wackiness coming with this season. The season started September 21st versus Harvard in Boston and what a game it was as Columbia took it to Harvard early scoring twice in the first quarter on a Santos touchdown pass and then a Chirico touchdown run and their defense responded early with, with two turnovers and only giving up 54 yards giving Columbia 
Columbia a 14-0 lead at half. Columbia put another field goal on late in the third quarter, but after that drive, Harvard turned the lights on and connected on a 50-yard touchdown pass, leading to a quick touchdown. So it was only 17-7. Then Harvard's defense held Columbia to three straight three-and-outs, leading to bad punts, which I'll be talking about in a second, and giving Harvard great field position so that Harvard could take advantage, and then they would score on the next three possessions to make it 21 to 17 by the end of the third quarter and then they would score on their next four to eventually win this game 49 to 17. By the final score it seemed like it was easy for Harvard but it really wasn't because as you can see all of their points were scored after the third quarter started. But this was a positive for Columbia and Garrett since they actually had a lead in the second half, which was rare, and they did look really good in the first half of this game. The second half, though, they didn't look all that good. But going back to that punting comment I mentioned, Coach Garrett would come out after the game to comment about his punter Peter Murphy. But it wasn't nice, as he said Murphy would never kick for the team again, and the coach also questioned the player's ability to hold the job if his professional work matched his performance on the football field, which is absolutely ridiculous. Like, I get it, Murphy did have a few bad punts that I can't find exact yardage for, but Harvard did have 98 return yards, and Harvard's second touchdown was an 8-yard drive, so my assumption is that that drive started on a very bad punt. After the comments, though, Garrett was forced to apologize by the school on Tuesday, but due to those comments, Peter Murphy came out two days later to the school's media department to say he had no anger towards the coach or the school, but he was quitting the team. If you're wondering why the punter quit, it might be due to the coach's piss-poor apology where he said, I think it was my failure as a football coach to bring out his best that was festering, and it might not have been totally his inability to kick that day as much as it was that I was looking for him to do something in a big way that would have helped us. We might have assumed automatically, which is a very dangerous thing to do, that he was going to be a good punter. Maybe I wasn't paying attention to my business about where he was. Wow. Well, that was only week one, and they were already 0-1, and they weren't looking good, as they would get to week two, and this one wasn't thrilling, as they were shut out 20 to nothing to out-of-conference opponent Lafayette, and their new punter John Williamson, who averaged 34.4 yards on nine punts, which really wasn't any better than Peter Murphy's six punts the previous week for an average of 35 yards, but there wasn't any uh, punter comments after this game. Week three was their game at home versus Penn and it was an absolute beatdown. Penn had a 37-0 lead at half and were up 43-0 before Columbia, led by Santos, threw two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, so the final was 46-14. The touchdown passes were quite significant since up to that point, Penn didn't give up a touchdown pass in 30 quarters. The touchdown passes didn't hurt them, but it's a nice stat for Columbia. Also, if you're wondering, they averaged 35 yards on punts. Columbia is now 0-3 and they have 14 straight losses. Week 4 they would play Princeton and Princeton was looking to get to 500 and was really easy for them with a 31 to nothing win. Nothing of value here for offense for Columbia as they had 112 yards of total offense and 5 first downs. Not sure the punting yards average though so sorry about that. Columbia under Garrett is now 0-4. Week 5 was homecoming versus Yale, and the game had a lot of penalties, an 18, resulting in over 170 penalty yards. 
Other than that, only two turnovers in this game where Columbia had a brief lead and were in this game until halftime. But that brief lead was only 3-0 and that stayed until the second quarter when Yale scored after initially making a field goal. But due to Columbia having too many men on the field, Yale was given the ball inside the 10 and they scored a touchdown giving them the 7-3 lead. But Yale opened the game up with their second touchdown. There were five minutes left and Yale was in the red zone but their pass was intercepted. Lucky for Yale though, not for Columbia because the ball was eventually returned to Yale on a penalty and Yale would score to take the 14-6 lead. Columbia would add their only other touchdown of the day on a Santos touchdown pass, but the two-point conversion failed, so it was 14-12 at half. After half, Columbia did nothing to get them any points, and Yale slowly put more points on the board to win this game 28-12. And Santos was the clear star for Columbia in this game, as he had 281 passing yards, but it wasn't enough to get them any more points, and with Yale averaging over 400 yards of total offense, they really couldn't win this game. Also, if you want to know, Columbia had six punts for an average of 29 yards, so they're getting a little worse even after Murphy quit the team. So Columbia is staying home versus Bucknell, who are a non-conference opponent and on a three-game losing streak during which they scored a touchdown or less. Columbia had the advantage in this game, but due to not having any stats, all that I know is Columbia had a slim lead, but Bucknell ended up winning this game 13-10. Bucknell would go on to lose their last three games and get shut out in two of them, so this was a nice end-of-the-season gift for Bucknell. But not for Columbia. As the losing continued, more people on campus started to take notice of their fiery rookie coach. So I mention that because besides the punter incident, Coach Garrett didn't hit any players. That's coming later. But what I did find were some out there comments by Garrett. His first comment came before the season when he called his players drug addicted losers. And obviously the cure for them was winning a game. He then talked about during his three year contract they would win 10 games and schedule great teams like Pittsburgh and Auburn. Most took it as a coach that had lofty goals for a terrible team which isn't bad, but it wasn't going to happen overnight. However, after another 0-6 start, talk like this shouldn't be said, and it would get even worse as the season continued. They would follow up the close loss with a horrifying loss to Colgate. Colgate were 5-2 and and looking for more wins as they were independent, so maybe they could go to the FCS playoff this year. Colgate had over 300 yards through the air, and that was even getting picked off three times by Columbia. Columbia didn't do much, even with those turnovers, and didn't score until they were so far out of it, so this loss was pretty easy for them. They lost 55-11. to The last three games were all Ivy League teams for Columbia. First up was Dartmouth, and this would be Columbia's final game in Wii Stadium, a stadium that they have never won in since it opened. Dartmouth started the season like Columbia, 0-5, but their last two games they won one and tied one, and Dartmouth wouldn't have to waste too much time to score their second win as they had a 20 to nothing lead in the second quarter before Columbia scored a pitiful field goal to be down 20 to 3 at half. Dartmouth did the rest to eventually win 34 to 3 and Columbia are now winless in their last 19 and 0 and 11 in their new stadium and they play on the road for their last two games. First they travel to Ithaca, New York to play Cornell who are 2 and 6 and winners of their last two. So playing very well 
well, you can see. The game was being played under foul conditions with rain, just above freezing temperatures, and lots of turnovers. The turnovers were mostly for Columbia, as they had three fumbles, and Cornell did have a pick, but the worst part of the game was Columbia's punting game, as Williamson had a punt blocked for a safety for Cornell's first points. Also, he had a fumbled snap and kicked a punt less than 30 yards, giving Cornell the ball at the Columbia 39. Columbia had the first points, but the turnovers and those bad punts made it 15-3 Cornell by the fourth quarter, and the game was eventually over 21-8. So Columbia are now 0-9, and they have one more chance to get that win of the season as they would play their last game on the road versus Brown, who were 4-4-1. And it wasn't difficult for Brown, and Columbia didn't really do anything on offense. I don't have any stats on this game, but I do have the final. It was 34 to nothing, so you can assume that Columbia did absolutely nothing on offense. So Columbia was 0-10, and the streak is now at 21 straight losses. On offense, they scored 75 points, or 7.5 points a game, which was the lowest of the streak. Along with that, their leading rusher was John Chirico. He had 518 yards, and their leading passer, Henry Santos, did have over 1,600 passing yards, both of which were increases over the previous season. Unfortunately, it was the turnovers that hurt them, scoring less points, and of course their kicking game, because why not blame them some more? On defense, they gave up 331 points, or 33 points per game. They, they gave up 34 plus points in half of the games, and you could hear as I went through the season that they were out of a lot of these games early and had no shot of winning. Okay, and just when you think the season is over, it's not done yet, because after that debacle to end the season, the New York Times went to interview first year head coach Jim Garrett, and, and he was very confident in his team for his second season. When the paper asked if he would be back next year, he said, the school has never given another coach less than a year, and he thought he would get three years, as he assumed in 1987 when his freshmen became juniors, the winning would eventually start, and also he would have at least one of his sons on the team at this time. Apparently, some at the university saw this and weren't happy, as they would come out the next day after the interview to say that Garrett has put in his resignation and the school had accepted it. Well, that was a shock to some players, and also angered some too, and also relieved some. But after the first game versus Harvard and the punter comments, Garrett was more subdued and got used to the Ivy League way of doing things. But when looking more into Garrett's past, you can see that his comments and actions weren't the only time he got fired or left a job. I told you about how he lost his first college head coaching job, but I glossed over Garrett's time as a high school coach in New Jersey because that lasted less than a year, and it wasn't because he got another NFL job quick. No, it was because he hit a high school player on the head during a game, and this sent players and local educators to oust Garrett quickly before the season was over. So not sure if that high school story was a big reason for him leaving, but Columbia might have gotten a look at it, and they were looking for reasons to get rid of him. Some players on the team talked about picketing the athletic office for Garrett's return, but they ended up not doing it and Garrett was officially gone. Garrett's son Judd, a star on the freshman team, found out when the rest of the team found out at a players meeting when an assistant told him of the news. 
After that, Judd got up from the meeting and just left and didn't return. After the resignation, the Columbia Athletic Director Al Paul was asked if Coach Garrett could have done anything to save his job, and the Athletic Director bluntly replied, no. Garrett left, as would all of his sons, and they would all go to Princeton, eventually becoming stars on the Princeton football team in 1987 and 88, and the star quarterback Jason Garrett would be the MVP of the Ivy League in 1988, but you'll be hearing a little bit about them later on. Okay, so the crazy 1985 season is over, and three weeks after that season, Garrett left Columbia, and Columbia would then hire Larry McElrevy, who was a former assistant at Yale and Penn before becoming the coach of New Haven and turning them into a winning team in three years. He would walk into a locker room that was demoralized by the last year and the way it ended, but McElrevy just preached a calm tone and told his team that if they did the work that eventually they would reap the benefits. So the team was going to be without their quarterback the last two seasons, Henry Santos, as he graduated, which would result in Columbia using two or three quarterbacks per game. But at least at running back they had Chirico, who had over 500 yards and a handful of touchdowns the previous season. On defense they would have a linebacker or two usually show up on the honorable mentions list, but no offensive or defensive players would be on the 1986 All Ivy League teams, so not looking good for 1986 as we start here. And they would start their season on the road versus Harvard, who were the second place team in the Ivy League last year and looking to start off the season on the right foot. Well, it was a cakewalk for Harvard as they had over 300 rushing yards and held Columbia to 140 total yards all game. Plus, Harvard would take a 17-0 lead after the first quarter, and also, they would have 140 yards to minus 12 advantage in that quarter. And they also had a 31-0 lead at half. So Columbia could pretty much do nothing. They used three quarterbacks in this game, and they only averaged one yard per carry. They even did nothing when Harvard brought in their bench and their third stringers in the second half. The final score was 34 to nothing, and this was Harvard's best win for a while, as they were shut out in their next three games. So in hindsight, this might have been the best way for Harvard to start off their season, but not the best for Columbia. Okay, so if you thought that last game was brutal, this Week 2 game was really brutal, as they would play out-of-conference rival Lafayette. Lafayette was coming into this game 1-1, one and, one, and they haven't lost to Columbia since 1980. Lafayette got the advantage early, but Columbia did actually score early, as they had 7 points by the third quarter, but Lafayette had 26, and they were looking to end this game early, as they had been accustomed to this decade. But Columbia would start to look pretty good, and they actually had a comeback late in the third with a rushing touchdown and then another touchdown in the fourth quarter. And the defense would hold off Lafayette for all of the fourth quarter and give Columbia one more shot to win. Columbia drove to the five-yard line with 12 seconds left and their new quarterback, David Patello, who played most of the game and the second half, snapped the ball and was quickly looking for an escape or for an open receiver. He found neither, as Lafayette would sack him about 10 yards back as time ran out and Columbia lost once again, 26-21. But this was their closest loss in a while. Unfortunately, though, the losing streak sits at 23. After that missed comeback, they traveled to Penn to play the undefeated and defending champions in the Ivy League. It didn't go well for them, and really, what could you expect? Coach McElravey was 
even pretty ready for this because he knew that his team couldn't match up to Penn talent-wise, but his team did have a lot of heart and fight as uh, this game went on. The game didn't look so bad at half as it was only 14 to nothing, but after that, Penn turned it on for four more touchdowns. Penn sat many starters in the second half, giving Columbia the shot to score, and they did so, so that they couldn't get shut out, and they lost this game 42 to 7. Penn had over 500 total yards, they had over 300 yards rushing, and the game could have been a lot worse had Penn not had 17 penalties, costing them over 150 yards, plus if they didn't sit everyone in the second half. But it was clear after this game that the Lions didn't have the talent to compete in the Ivy League or the FCS for that matter, and it wasn't clear when they were going to get any better. And Game 4 was versus an interesting team in Princeton. Princeton were 0-3 coming into this game, and don't worry, none of Garrett's sons were playing for the Tigers this year due to transferring rules. However, the Tigers didn't need them, as they got out to a 20-0 lead before Columbia scored and tried once again for a comeback. That didn't happen, though. But Princeton made a ton of mistakes, like two interceptions and three fumbles, giving Columbia a chance in this game. The Princeton defense held off Columbia throughout the fourth quarter and held and held on to get their first win of the season, 20-14. So Columbia's losing streak now sits at 25 straight losses as their next games were the bottom of the barrel. And the quicker we get through the rest of these games, the better as Columbia faced Yale on the road and then Colgate at home. Yale was not good again this season as they were 1-3 coming in, and Yale just ran all over Columbia with 255 yards and got some timely interceptions with four of them. They also got two fumbles to shut out Columbia 47 to nothing. Columbia did get close to scoring as they had over 240 yards, but they started three quarterbacks who all threw picks in this game, and the streak stays alive. Up next was Colgate, who were 0-6 coming into this game, and Colgate lost to Yale two weeks previous, so that might give you an idea of where this game is going. Colgate's star running back had over 180 yards rushing and three touchdowns, and their quarterback had a perfect completion percentage in the first half as they would score 34 points. Columbia did score in the first half on defense, and on a Santos touchdown pass, they would be down 34-8 at half. Columbia didn't do anything in the second, and they would eventually lose this game by their worst score in a while, 54-8 at home, to make their record 0-6. So this next one was different as Columbia would play Villanova, who were a D3 independent squad. The reason for that was that they stopped playing in 1980 before reinstating the program to the FCS, which they would be in in 1988. But this year, Villanova was mostly playing D3 and D2 schools, with Columbia their only FCS or 1AA team on schedule. Most fans and alumni of Columbia were thinking that this could be the game that the streak could finally end. And it started that way, as Columbia scored first, and they had a 28-14 lead at half. But after half was when the usual trouble started for Columbia, as they fumbled and fumbled, then threw a pick, all leading to Villanova touchdowns, and then Villanova had a lead 35-28. to And there were still seven minutes left in the third quarter. Apparently, ABC and other TV and radio outlets were calling the school wanting to find out if they had indeed ended the streak. However, there was still time left for the Lions, but after another Nova touchdown, Columbia couldn't come back, and they lost 42-34, so the streak still lives. 
They had their final away game next versus Dartmouth in New Hampshire, and Columbia had five interceptions and three fumbles. And even though it was 14 to nothing at half, it ended 41 to nothing, and the less said about it, the better. But they had two final games at home, first against Cornell, who were undefeated in the Ivy, and with the win would play Penn next week for the Ivy League title. Cornell had the best defense in the Ivy League this year, and they weren't giving up a touchdown in their last three games, and it continued in this game versus Columbia, as it was 28 to nothing Cornell, and it would continue in this game as Cornell ended this game pretty easily 28 to nothing, and now the losing streak has reached 30 straight losses. The final game was versus Brown, who were 500 again and looking to make it 14 in a row versus Columbia. Nothing of value here, as it was 28 to nothing Brown at half, and the final would be 45 to seven. So at least they weren't shut out for a third straight year. Well, the season was over, and Coach McElravey was going to be hanging around another year, so there was no chaos with coaches. He didn't say anything stupid about punters. He didn't make any. He didn't make any players quit, no nothing. He was going to be coming back for the 1987 season. But a crazy stat here was that they had 11 seniors that played all four years with Columbia. This season includes freshmen too. And they were the first senior class to never win a varsity game. They went 2-4 and four as a freshman team, but they did not win as a sophomore, junior, or senior. But not only will another one of their classes break a record, I'll be talking about another school in another one of my deep dives that will also be having several senior classes that didn't have a win. The alumni and staff were mad last year after Jim Garrett's season, but this 1986 season was so much worse, at least statistically, not emotionally. They didn't have a 1,000-yard passer or a 500-yard rusher this season. Patello, their best quarterback, had 894 yards passing, and their best running back, Chirico, had 319 rushing yards. To go along with that this year, they had their worst Ivy League season as they were outscored 257-28, to which means on average they lost every Ivy League game 37-4. to They were shut out four times, which again was an Ivy League first, but they probably should have been shut out in more games like that Penn game where Penn played their second team all second half and that Brown game where again they scored in the second half versus the backups of Brown. But the streak lives another year as we will get to 1987. So the 1987 season is here. The losing streak is at 31 and only four more losses and they beat Northwestern's record set only five years earlier. Coach McElrevy was back, and this time he had a better defense as they played through some issues in 1986, and they would get better this year. Along with that, Columbia also brought back a really good defensive player in Matt Sotel. He was on the first team Ivy League, which was the first time a player since 1981 from Columbia made that list. And it was also the first time a player from Columbia would show up on either the first or the second team list since 1985. So knowing that they actually had some talent on defense makes you feel a little bit better because they couldn't possibly be any worse than they were last year. And here's something else funny, their punter Matt Pollard was named to the second team Ivy League in 1987, just two years after Coach Garrett made one of the punters quit on his team, so there you go. On offense, meanwhile, Columbia couldn't find who they wanted to play at quarterback, even though Putello, the leading passer, was back this year. McElrevy would use at least three quarterbacks this season, sometimes he would use three in a game. 
The running game was putrid too last year, but they would not have the leading rusher Chirico, so they would start with the brand new slate of running backs. Their offensive line was the star of the offense, which isn't saying a lot, but they did have an offensive lineman, Paul Childers, make the Ivy League second team this year. In addition, this next player wasn't a star in the field so much, but he did become a TV star later in Matthew Fox. He was a receiver on Columbia this year and next year, and he would also be in some of the box scores this season, so I feel like I had to mention him. But let's start the season as Columbia saw their first four games as the last time they would have a chance to not live in college football infamy. So they would have to win one of these games. But it wasn't going to happen in week one as they started at home versus Harvard. Harvard coach Joe Resick, who has coached there since the late 1960s, was trying to turn his team around after a three-win season in 1986. And he pretty much did what he did in 1986 and take it to Columbia early and then he backed off in the second half. Harvard did that this year by taking a 28 to nothing lead into half and had over 200 yards of total offense by that point. Meanwhile, Columbia struggled hard as they played new quarterback Matt Less, who also played wide receiver this year too, and he did pretty much nothing of value, completing only 25% of his passes. He also had two interceptions this game. Plus, he got sacked a few times, ruining their rushing total, which was mostly gathered by their running back this season, Chris Della Piedra, who had 64 yards. Columbia didn't get within Harvard's red zone, as the closest they got was the 34-yard line, so obviously they lost this game big time, 35 to nothing. So they got two more losses and they tie the record and three and they have it and Lafayette was up next and some thought that this might be the best chance for them to win as last year they played them tough but this year coach McElravey knew that Lafayette had the better team and Lafayette showed it. They went on a 10-play 91-yard drive in the first quarter to score first, which led to another one before Columbia ended up scoring. The score was by the star of their offense the first two games, running back Della Pietra, as he ran for a 40-plus-yard touchdown run, and he had 76 rushing yards, but Lafayette took over and scored the remaining points while keeping Columbia's offense from doing pretty much anything as they had three picks and picked up another three fumbles, so this game was over, 38-7. But at least there was something funny about this game after because Coach McElravey was asked for his comments on what he would do if this team actually won a game. His response was, I'd probably cut my Mylanta in half, but he was just looking for anything positive and that last comment too is just making me like this guy even more because he was trying to stay positive as his record as Columbia was 0-12 right now and they trudged on to play Penn. Penn were Ivy League champs and undefeated last year, but this year they lost most of those players from last year and they were 0-2. The game started and Columbia was taking it to them mostly on the ground as both of their running backs had 79 yards of total rushing. But when they got close to scoring, they screwed it up as they got inside the Penn 10-yard line and either got picked or fumbled. Meanwhile, their defense was stepping up as Penn could only get field goals through the first three quarters, keeping Columbia in this game. They were only down 9-0. But in the fourth quarter, Penn finally got in the end zone on two rushing touchdowns to win this game 23 to nothing. Columbia had over 130 total yards, but with five turnovers and only completing four passes, they couldn't do anything. And now they tied the losing streak record at 34. 
And the game to make them record holders was against, of all teams, Princeton. Princeton was 2-1 after a loss the previous week, and what was even bigger was, Princeton was starting all three of Garrett's sons at the time in this game. Quarterback Jason, running back Judd, and wide receiver John all would lead the team this year and next in their stats. Princeton and the Garrett's took it to Columbia quickly, as Princeton had 21 points in less than 10 minutes on two Judd Garrett touchdown runs. Plus, there was a 74-yard touchdown pass from Jason to John, so pretty much the Garrett brothers did all the damage on their own. Columbia didn't score until the fourth quarter, and by that time it was 38 to nothing. Jason Garrett had 173 passing yards and a touchdown, but Judd was the star that he showed he could be on the Columbia freshman team as he had 140 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Also, the Garretts gave Columbia loss number 35, and they now have the record for Division I or FCS. They welcome 2-2 two two Yale to try and break this hex. Yale scored first, but Columbia would tie the game on their punter, Matt Pollard, turning to a quarterback on a fourth down, so I guess anyone could have thrown a pass on Columbia this year. They were only happy for a few moments, as less than two minutes later, Yale would get the lead back and never lose it. Yale coach Carm Koza was friends with McElravey and played his backups in the fourth, resulting in another touchdown pass, this time by Putello, to make it 27-13, as this loss would solidify the losing streak to Columbia as they would move on next week on the road to Bucknell. And Bucknell really took it to Columbia as they were looking to get back to 500. They scored in their first seven possessions. They had over 400 total yards. Columbia did score in the second half, but Bucknell was resting a lot of their players. Bucknell wasn't an Ivy League team, so they didn't care too much about holding back. And the final was 62-20. to Okay, that last game might have been a blowout, but Columbia actually looked alright in these final four games. First, they played another out-of-conference game in Lehigh at home and it would end close 26-10. But again, Columbia was scoring late, so this really should have been a bigger blowout, and this loss would give them number 38 in a row. And next game versus Dartmouth was fun, as Columbia fought them all game, intercepting Dartmouth two times, as well as picking up another fumble. The connection of Putello to Della Pietra gave Columbia a 7-2 lead in the second quarter, which was one of the only times that Columbia had a lead in the second quarter of the season, before Dartmouth would score again, taking a 9-7 lead. Columbia would kick a field goal before half, and they had a 10-9 lead. The one-point lead held throughout most of the second half, but turnovers hurt Columbia, as they had three of them, and they gave Dartmouth a chance to win at the end. Dartmouth took advantage, kicking a field goal with 1.45 left to give them a 12-10 lead. Columbia would drive down the field, but they missed a 36-yard field goal with seconds remaining, and they lost 12-10, giving them loss number 39. And Columbia was back to the Ivy League as they traveled to upstate New York to play Cornell and their great passing game. Columbia would stall Cornell's running game early, but could not stop their passing game, as it would shred Columbia's defense for over 250 yards and three passing touchdowns. 
Cornell would score three touchdowns in the second quarter, and Columbia would never be able to come close after that quarter. Though Cornell would sit a lot of players in the second half, allowing Columbia to get a couple of second-half touchdowns, so the final was 31-20, to closer than it seems. Columbia now have 40 straight losses, and they have one more game this season to end the streak as they played Brown. Brown beat down Columbia the last two years, but this one wasn't an easy one for Brown. Columbia was clearly getting better through the season, and it showed in this game, as they took it to Brown early and had a lead through most of the first and second half. But the trouble would start in the fourth quarter again, which was where a lot of their problems occurred, as Brown was down 16-6 with under 8 minutes left. But they would start their comeback as they scored a touchdown with 540 left to cut the lead to 3 points. After a quick punt by Columbia, Brown took advantage and got the ball to the goal line, but fumbled the ball, giving the ball back to Columbia. The people in attendance at Brown were very nervous, thinking that this was going to be the game that Columbia would finally win. But it wouldn't happen, as the officials took two minutes to give the ball back to Brown, and Brown would get one more chance to score on fourth and two, and they did so, giving them the lead 19-16. Columbia tried to take the lead, but were intercepted on a last-minute drive, and they would end their season again with another crushing loss to Brown. That loss gave Columbia 41 straight losses. They were 0-10 for the season, but they looked a lot better in games this season. It would show on offense as they were only shut out twice. They did score 104 points, or just over 10 points per game. They did score double digits six times to end. They did score double digits six times to end the season, and were close in a few games to end here. Their quarterback this season, David Patello, would not come back for the 1988 season, but over 1986 and 87, he was their most significant and was probably their most consistent passer, as he had over 850 yards passing in 86 and 87, which wasn't that much, but they were playing three or four quarterbacks over the game, so it's pretty surprising he even had that many yards. They also didn't have a running back with more than 500 yards this season as their leading rusher had 418 yards. And the guy I mentioned a lot at running back, Della Pietra, he wasn't even the leading rusher this season. Meanwhile, in defense, they gave up 311 points, or 31.1 points per game, and the points were really coming in to start the season, but they got mellowed out after that Bucknell thrashing. And one more thing I want to mention about their defense was their best player in Matt Sodal. He would graduate after the season, and he ended his run at Columbia without a win. So as you could see by the way they ended the 1987 season, this streak was slowly loosening its grip on this team. Coming into 1988, Coach McElravey was ready, and he was calling this year the year that they would finally end the streak, as they were bringing back a couple of pretty good players on their offensive line, one of those being Paul Childers, as he would be a second-team All-Ivy this year. Their quarterback situation was a mess again as they played at least four quarterbacks during this season, and they played three in their first game alone. Their running back, though, was the constant part of this offense as they would have junior running back Greg Abaruzzi back, and they would also bring in newcomer Solomon Johnson, who is named Rookie of the Year for the Ivy League this year. So with those two positive things on offense, you can see that they were feeling pretty good coming into this season. Their defense, meanwhile, didn't have their best player back, Matt Soto, but they did have Bob Paschkel on their defensive line back, and he would be on the second team All-Ivy this year. 
And let's get started with the season the way they always started against Harvard, who were Ivy League champs the previous season, but they pretty much didn't have any of that team that won the Ivy League last year. So this was going to be a pretty big challenge for their coach this year, Joe Resnick, to solve. And Resnick knew that this game would help his new team since Harvard has shut out Columbia over the last two years. And it was starting to look this way as Columbia would play three quarterbacks this game, with all of them getting under 40 yards passing in this game. But their running back was the story as Solomon Johnson showed why he was going to be Rookie of the Year as he ran for 90 yards this game and set up Columbia's only touchdown, allowing them to not get shut out for the third year in a row. But on defense, they gave up 400 plus yards again, and they were down 17 to nothing before their only score, and they would end this game losing 41 to 7. So the streak is at 42 as Columbia goes home to play highly ranked Lehigh, and they had a great passing offense and were one of the most efficient in college football that year. Meanwhile, Columbia's defense couldn't handle them at all, and it was 21-3 at the end of the first quarter, and it was 35-3 at half. Plus, Lehigh had 400 yards plus at half. Good thing for Columbia, though, is Lehigh sat a lot of their starters in the second half, so it could have been much worse, as Lehigh had over 570 total yards, they had 300-plus passing and 200-plus rushing yards. And 200-plus rushing yards, so the final was 49-3, and the streak was at 43. And they got closer in Game 3 versus Penn, as McElravey was a former Penn assistant, and Columbia was tied early in this game 7-7. But after Penn scored twice before the half was over, and again in the third, it was 24-7 going into the fourth quarter. Columbia kicked a field goal to cut the deficit to 14, and were driving again late, but a fumble inside the Penn 10 by Solomon Johnson gave the ball back to Penn, who then proceeded to waste a bunch of time, and then kick a 77-yard punt to put Columbia back inside their own 10 and effectively end this game, and it would end 24-10. McElravey after this game was positive, saying that they were one fumble away from winning, and that might be stretching it. Princeton was coming to town next, and they were bringing all of the Garrett sons in again. But this time, the defense stood up to them, keeping them at 10 points by half, as well as keeping quarterback Jason Garrett guessing all game. It was 13-9 in the fourth quarter when Columbia's rushing attack came through for them, as Solomon Johnson had 100 yards in this game, as well as Greg Abruzzi would rush for a touchdown to give them a 16-13 lead. Columbia now having a 16-13 lead in the fourth quarter gave Princeton enough time for one more chance. Princeton and the Garrett Suns would drive Princeton all the way down for one chance to tie it on a 48-yard field goal with two seconds left. If the field goal goes, they will end their losing streak, but it doesn't end their winless streak. However, if it doesn't go, they finally get the monkey off their back and they win. Princeton got ready for the kick with two seconds left. The ball was in the air, but it fell short, landing in the end zone, and it was no good. It was over. Columbia won. The streak was finally over. All of the 5,420 people in attendance at Lawrence A. Ween Stadium rushed the field to congratulate the players. Some even took grass while dozens helped rip the field goal post down. 
This streak was so big that Coach McElravey was invited to David Letterman's show, but he declined as he still had to coach the rest of the season. And after that win, they probably should have ended the season because they went on a five-game losing streak before winning their final game of the season, 31-13 over Brown, meaning they were 2-8, and eight, which was their best record since 1978. And even with ending the streak and winning two games, McElravey was not renewed as the athletic officials said they felt the team lost their edge and they didn't want to play for him anymore. So Columbia would have to hire a new coach, and they would do that in Ray Tellier. He was a former Rochester, New York head coach, and he would coach the Lions from 1989 until 2002, with his best record being in 1996 when they went 8-2. However, even with that record, they still would never win an Ivy League championship up to this day. And here are some crazy stats during this streak. Columbia would open up their stadium, Wien Stadium, in 1984, right at the beginning of the streak, so they lost their first 23 games at that stadium before scoring their win four years after it opened. From their previous win on October 15, 1983, until their streak-breaking win on October 8, 1988, they went 1,820 days without a win. And this streak lasted an entire presidential term. And if Columbia didn't beat Princeton on the day they beat him and instead won their final game of the season versus Brown, this streak would have went past two presidential elections as the 1988 U.S. as the 1988 U.S. presidential election happened on November 8th, 1988, just 11 days before Columbia's season-ending win over Brown. During this streak, they went 0-44, they gave up 1,492 points, or 34 points per game, and again, this could have been a lot worse because you heard a lot of teams sitting starters in the second half. Meanwhile, during this streak, they scored 456 points, or about 10 points per game, and again, this should have been a lot lower as they should have been shut out in a lot of games, but again, they were playing second and third stringers in the second half. And I don't have stats for everyone, but I have season leaders, and their best passer during the 1984 through 88 season was Henry Santos in that disastrous 1985 season. And their best runner during this time was John Chirico, who led in rushing both times that he played with less than 550 yards in 1985 and 1986. And after going over all of these stats and reading into the streak, I would love to have seen how this team would have been if Garrett stayed in 1986, because then he would have had at least one of his sons playing that year in Judd at running back, which probably would have gotten them at least one win. And if they would have not won in 86, they probably or definitely would have won in 87, because Jason would have been quarterback then. But I think the streak really got the length it got because of the firing of Coach Garrett, or I guess the resignation of Coach Garrett, because when he left, that 1986 season was so bad for them because so many players were demoralized or left or just didn't want to play anymore. So they pretty much wasted an entire season before they got back to playing pretty well in 1987. So to me, I just think that that firing of Garrett was the real reason why this streak lasted so long. Anyway, though, thank you so much for going on this very long journey with me on this deep dive of the Columbia losing streak that lasted pretty much most of the 1980s. 
Again, please help out the channel, help out the podcast right now by going to my Patreon, patreon.com slash wrong sports, or going to my YouTube right now. Just go to YouTube, search wrong sports, subscribe there. You can help out the channel. And thank you so much for sitting through this very long journey with me.